So the last, uh, feels like the last 18 months have been a lot of different um, opportunities uh, to witness scenes of anguish. Uh, the, the pandemic brought, I think, more trauma than we even know in terms of what we have heard on the news and seen pictures of. And then this week, all of that was underlined and emphasized. Anguish came very, very near to our hometown. And we relived that. It seemed minute by minute through the news. The school shooting in Oxford offering us an even bleaker and more desperate illustration of what it means to be in pain and, and in anguish than what we have already endured as a community. Renee Brown says that anguish is almost unbearable. She says it's a traumatic swirl of shock incredulity, grief, and powerlessness. She says shock and incredulity can take your breath away, and grief and powerlessness come for our hearts and our minds. But anguish, the combination of these experiences, not only takes away our ability to breathe, and not only takes away our ability to think, it comes for our bones. It wants to live in our bones. The good news is that God also desires to live in our bones. And so let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe and believing obey. Amen. We all know how the story goes, don't we? Don't we? Yeah. <laughs> you don't even know what story I'm talking about. <laughs> Once upon a time, there were three little pigs. <clears throat> and the time came for them to leave home and seek their fortunes. The first little pig built his house out of straw. You seemed underconfident with that. <laughs> the second little pig built his house out of? Well done. And the third little pig built his house out of bricks. And before they could even throw a housewarming party, each of these little pigs received a not-so-friendly visit from the big bad wolf. Big bad wolf who warned the first little pig 
inside his house of straw. Little pig, little pig, let me in or I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. More the second little pig inside his house made of sticks. Little pig, little pig, let me in or I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. He warned the third little pig with his house made out of bricks. Little pig, little pig, let me in or I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. Each time the wolf warns and threatens and then invades. I offer this story not just as a way to encourage your involvement in this morning's message, to draw you in to the sermon. I offer it because there's a bill of goods for sale out there, and it's especially made for people who are struggling for people who are having a tough time trying to make sense of how things are being blown around and blown down. And so it's a bill of goods that's for sale to you. And it's one that says, if you don't act the right way or say the right things or believe the way that I do, then you will experience God as the big bad wolf. The one who is blowing all the houses down. God is the one who demands unwelcome entry. God is the one who warns and threatens as the one who punishes. God as the biggest and baddest of wolves. And so God as the one that we must hold outside at least for as long as the house will house will last so we don't let him in even as he does desire to take up residence in our bones to compete with the anguish we don't let him in but that's not what happened in Nazareth just over 2,000 years ago he wasn't kept out. He came in. And then he was let in again. See, Nazareth was not a big town. It wasn't a big town at all. The town itself sat in the flat of the, of the bottom of a bowl. It had hills up and around its sides. It had a water supply, some pastures. Deep pits were dug there in Nazareth. Dug out of the ground for storage and hiding underneath the ground. It had some modest agriculture. There were no major roadways into the place though and so it's not as if it got too many visitors. And so this small plot of land was left to the doings of the four or five hundred people that lived there and houses scattered in those hills and one of those people was named Mary who was the mother of Jesus. She was visited in one of those houses by the angel Gabriel and almost immediately struck off to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Now we don't know much about where Elizabeth was. We are only told that Mary went to a town in the hill country to visit her. 
Scholars cannot be sure if it was Hebron or Ein Karem, but both would have been 80 or 100 miles away, all uphill for the mother of Jesus, for Mary. We don't know much about her house either, Elizabeth's house, though it was probably built out of mortar and stone or carved into the rocky hillside, not made out of straw or sticks or bricks. But we do know, one thing we do know about her house, one thing we do know is that when Mary showed up at her house, carrying the son who would be born in Bethlehem, Mary did not have to huff and puff. Elizabeth let her in. She let Jesus in. Hmm. What a message. He just let Jesus in. She didn't even know it was him. That's how it goes sometimes, you know. You don't even know it's him. What kind of house have you built? I don't mean physical house. I mean, what kind of house have you built with your life? Is it the kind of house where anybody gets let in at all? Is it the kind of house where Jesus gets let in? Are there doors for him in your house? No, I get it. I get it. Sometimes it feels like we need to design a life where nobody gets let in. Especially God, because God just disrupts everything anyway. Nobody gets let in if we want to get anywhere in life. When I was a sophomore in high school, I was approached by a member of our wrestling team. You've heard my wrestling stories before. This is where it all began. I was asked if I'd be willing to join the team. Actually, I was... What happened was I was approached by a 170-pound man-child who pointed at me and said, you're wrestling, because I was 96 pounds, and they needed a wrestler for the 103-pound class. And the next day, I went to practice with my sneakers on, and, and later I would get wrestling shoes. I remember my first win by pin. I remember my first loss by pin. You know, I can still remember it. Looking up at that kid's armpit. <laughs> I can remember times where I thought I was really good and times where I wondered why I'd even bothered to join. But mostly I remember the award ceremonies and how at the end of my first season, even though I'd, I'd improved, I was left far from the medal podium at the state meet. And I committed right there and then never to let that happen again. And, and a month or so after the state meet, I ran into one of the assistant coaches for our team and he asked how I was doing and if I'd been training. And I told him yes and that I intended to win the state meet the following year. And he was visibly surprised and blurted, you might want to have another goal just in case. <laughs> Can you believe it? There was no way in his mind that I was going to do that, but I did. I did win that meet in large part because I wanted to prove that coach wrong. It drove me to 
keep him out. Oh, I worked so hard at it. That turns into a burning desire to prove everyone wrong. Keep everyone out. To do it on my own. You ever, you ever have a story like this? An accomplishment fueled by your desire to prove everyone wrong. It's amazing how far a chip on your shoulder can take you. Right? It turns into a will to win, and then it turns into an ego. It's one thing to win a, a state wrestling meet that way or, or secure a promotion that way or to earn a degree that way. It's quite another thing to live an entire life like that. Keeping people out, chip on your shoulder, enlarging the ego with just a short way of saying, edging God out. The trouble is it works once and it's seductive. You can prove everyone wrong. You can do it all on your own. But I tell you, it's an exhausting way, isn't it? To cycle your life. Because, because one day, everything is, is going to be out of your control. It seems like these days, everything is out of our control. And... And those tactics that we've used, the materials that we've built our lives with, the, the chips on our shoulder that we've stacked up, well, now they're like straw. And they have no chance of holding up to all the things that will blow them down. And we can scurry around and we can try to pick them up after the wind comes, the wind of of terror in our schools, the wind of torment in our children and teenagers, the wind of heartbreak in our homes and our families, our churches and governments, and so on and so forth. But we can't. We can't, we can't do it. It's so frustrating because we've always been able to do it. And some of us are very hard on ourselves, aren't we? Because of how much we've invested in building this house of our lives out of those materials, we blame ourselves. I wonder if some of you are pretty good at blaming yourself. We blame ourselves for the things that go wrong and we're quick to see that others need kindness and empathy, but we don't take time to allow ourselves to experience kindness and empathy and love. Did you hear what I just said? We are quick to see that others need kindness and empathy, but we don't take time to allow ourselves to experience kindness and empathy and love. Let me in, the better part of ourselves say. Let me in, our, our loved ones say. Let me in, God says. Not by the hairs of my chinny chin chin. We need to learn from Elizabeth. 
today. Elizabeth, who had to be carrying so much confusion in her heart. This deep challenge of motherhood beating her down. and She didn't know, she didn't know if she had it in her. I mean, you know that feeling, not knowing if you had it in you. But what did Elizabeth actually have in her? In that moment, Elizabeth wasn't guided by the chip on her shoulder. She was moved by a fire in her belly. It says the baby leapt in her womb and she was filled by the Holy Spirit. She let her in. She let Mary in the door, the one that she needed, the one that came to show her love when she needed it the most, the one that was carrying Jesus himself. Yes, there are a lot of people in this world that need help. Seems like more and more every day, the number just keeps building up. It's overwhelming. There are a lot of people in this world that need help, but so do you. Let it start there. You need the love too. You do. May it be that there are Marys knocking on your door ones that seek to love you and comfort you, to, to carry the love of Jesus very close to you. May it be that they don't need to huff and puff, that you will set aside the chip on your shoulder to be guided by the fire of the Holy Spirit in your belly. And so may it be that this Advent season, you let go of the need to be it all. It'll be the best to have it your way, to win what you set out to win. And instead, just open the door. God is not the big bad wolf. He wants to love you. Did you hear what I just said? And for you to know that love, that's the message of the Christ child. So let him, let him in. Amen.